everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna, and I know it's been a while since we've put out a show, so just want to apologize to our listeners. You guys are awesome, by the way. We've gotten so many emails, everybody saying, hey, are you guys taking a break? Where, where are the shows? And I tend to forget sometimes that this show happens to be your morning commute in or a part of your weekly routine. So thank you guys so much for listening. Really appreciate it. Part of the reason why we've had a little bit of a delay is Mike and I were working on a web series and we are hoping to get some new stuff out to everybody this summer. So we have taken a couple of Fridays off from the podcast so we can do some editing. And just wanted to give you that update. Um, also, if you follow us on Instagram, you'll see that I got a new kitty cat and his name is Leo. So from time to time, he's very talkative. You might hear a cat in the background of our interviews and that's just him saying hello. Um, so it's great to be back. We have a really interesting woman, woman that we're going to be speaking to today. Her name is Josie Varga. And gosh, we met her probably about eight, nine years ago when we started filming the Path Trilogy. And I'd like to tell you a little bit about Josie. We're going to be talking about one of her um, her most recent book that she just published. It's called A Call from Heaven, Personal Accounts of Deathbed Visits, Angelic Visions, and Crossings to the Other Side. And she's the best-selling author of Visits from Heaven. She has many books and has been called an angel who has taken human form. And if anyone gets a chance to meet this lady, that is just so true. She's got wonderful energy, so sweet. Mike and I loved her from the start when we first met her. Um, she's also a former magazine editor and communications consultant. Her life changed course. Now listen to this. When she received a validated dream message from a man who died in the September 11 attacks on the World Trade Center. She was forever transformed by her experience and embarked on a spiritual journey, and she has vowed to help others understand that life truly never ends and love never dies. Life, she says, is eternal, and so are we. She's dedicated and passionate about her research into metaphysics and the afterlife. She is a sought-after blogger and motivational speaker and has a great popular Facebook group uh, that you guys will check out, I'm sure, once she tells you a little bit more about who she is and what she does in that Facebook group. But I'm a part of it as well, and I just love reading some of the stories there. And that group is to allow people to share their spiritual experiences and find comfort in knowing that they're not alone. Uh, with several other projects in the work, she's also currently working on a television pilot based on her book, Visits from Heaven, and Josie lives in New Jersey. So welcome, Josie. Hi, thank you for having me. You are welcome. So I typically like to start out by having our guests tell our listeners, you know, what their spiritual journey has been and what led you to become this best-selling author, afterlife expert, you're a blogger, motivational speaker, and you are just kind of, I would say, obsessed with the afterlife and death, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, honestly, April, I mean, you know me, we met a long time ago. Um, if you would have said to me, hey, Josie, you know, you, you're going to be writing about the afterlife. Like if you said that 20 years ago, I would have said, yeah, sure, April, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, um, but what what happened was I had a vivid, lucid dream about my husband's friend and former boss, um, which died in the World Trade Center attacks. And the one thing I want listeners to understand is I'd never met him. I saw pictures of him. I spoke to him once on the phone, but that's it. I never met him. 
So in this particular dream, I'm walking down this long hallway, and I come to this door on the end, walk into the room, and I see desk and windows everywhere, and all of a sudden, I see my husband's friend, Rich, and he says to me, Josie, thank you for mentioning me in your book. And what he meant by that, in my first book, For Prince in the Sand, I mentioned him in the epilogue of the book. I talk about uh, a powerful email that he sent out about the death of his father two years prior, in which he talked about how each wasted minute was a crime, you know, things like that. It was beautiful, so I put it in a book. So that's what he meant. Well, when he said this to me, April, for, for reasons that I cannot explain, and by the way, when I say he said it to me, it was all telepathic. It was all mind-to-mind communication. There were no words. It was all through thought. So I said to him, Rich, you have to prove to me that this is really you. Why I said that, I don't know. And in response to that, he kind of had this like smirk on his face, like, oh, okay, and he walked over to a desk, and there was a cell phone, one of those flip phones. And he, he opened it up, and he showed me the phone, and on the phone was a picture of him, his wife, and his son. And he looked at me, and he said, very clearly, Boston is okay. Now, I immediately knew, intuitively, okay, this is a message that I need to get to his wife. But I didn't know why. I didn't know what it meant. And the next thing I know, I'm, I would describe it as a window. I'm going through what seems like a window, and I'm on the street. And he looked like he was in what looked like the bed of a pickup truck, okay? And he's standing behind his wife and son, and he looks at me, and he's like, okay, Josie, go ahead, give them the message, and sort of with his hands, pushes me forward, sort of, okay? And when he did that, I literally woke up in a sitting position, panting and out of breath. I felt like something hit me in my chest, okay? So I wake up, I'm like, what the heck just happened? I mean, I was scared because nothing like that had ever happened before. However, I was convinced that what I had experienced was real. I knew what I had experienced was real. So I called my husband, who was already at work, and I told him what happened. And he, how do you think he reacted, April? He was <laughs> like, I, okay, 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 whatever. Just, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, whatever. Let me get back to work. Uh, so, and I said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You need to tell Rich that Boston is okay. So we compromised. And I sent him an email, which he agreed to forward to Rich's sister-in-law, his wife's sister, because they worked in the same field. They knew one another. He had her email. So he does that, right? And he told me that the minute he hit send, you know, he was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I shouldn't have done it. Oh, my God, she's going to think I'm nuts, you know. And I didn't, I know, I felt great because I knew I did what I was supposed to do. Okay, so two weeks go by, we don't hear anything. We're on vacation. My husband gets a message on his BlackBerry, and to make a very long story short, she basically said, you know, how did your wife know? This is from the sister-in-law. How did your wife know? They have a brother in Boston, April, and Karen was considering selling her home and moving to Boston, but she felt guilty because she had purchased the house before, you know, before her husband passed away. So, So the message... Boston is okay, made perfect sense. Okay, so he was trying to tell his wife, 
it's okay. You can move to Boston. Well, can you can you just even imagine my shock at that time? <laughs> I mean, really, I I was like standing there at first. I didn't get it. And my husband didn't get it. We were like, what? And then he read it again. And we both went, <gasps> you know, because that told me, okay, what does that mean? That tells me that somebody who is deceased gave me a message for his wife that was now validated. So what does that say? That says that life really doesn't end and that it is possible for the living to communicate with those on the other side. So when, the, when this happened, you know, I didn't exactly go run into the tallest mountain shouting, hey, world, life never ends, love never dies. <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't like that at first because, um, you know, it's a shock. And uh, at first I was like, you know, why is this happening to me? Why don't you just go to your wife and tell her Boston is okay? You know, why did you come to me? And I will talk about that a little later. But what, what happened was um, my sister-in-law said to me, don't you realize that you've been given a gift? And once she said that, it really hit home, you know? And I said, you know, you're right. So I started researching the phenomena just to know that I wasn't alone, you know? And oh boy, April, I was not alone. There were people all over the world that came forward with such stories. And what makes my book different is every story in the book is backed up by proof. Uh, that's, how, that's how it all started. And I, I started with Visits from Heaven, which is about afterlife communication. And then from there, I wrote a book about near-death experiences, Visits to Heaven. And then I wrote about angelic and divine encounters, which is divine visits. And now my current book, which is A Call from Heaven, which is about deathbed phenomena. Huh, that's amazing. Now, what was your like upbringing like before this happened? So this really seems like it catapulted you into what you're doing and your purpose in the world. But, you know, when you were younger or growing up, did you ever have any experiences like this where maybe you kind of knew but pushed it aside? Or what was that like? Well, you know, uh, I always like I was always the type that knew things about people, you know, like even today I can meet somebody and. You get, you know, you follow your intuition and you say, okay, no, they're not, they're not good. No, they're not, you know, this is, this is bad. Like I can tell certain things about people that they don't even tell me. And, you know, so I've, I've always been intuitive my whole life, um, but I've always believed in the afterlife, April, but this whole experience, it's, it's like, um, it changes you to the core. That's the only way I can explain it. It's like. You can't go back to who you were, even if you tried, because it, it changes everything about you, you right. know? Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I, uh, I'm, I feel blessed to be able to do what I do. But to answer your question, had I had any experiences like this before, the one experience that comes to mind, I was pregnant with my daughter, Erica, at the time. I didn't know that she was a girl. But I went for... Um, what they call the AFP test, you know, they test the chromosomes. And I got a call from my OBGYN, and he told me that my daughter had Down syndrome. And of course, I was devastated, devastated. So my husband and I decided, okay, I'm going to have the amio to see how bad it is. So I had the amio, and that night, I got on my hands and knees, 
and I prayed to my grandmother. My grandmother is deceased, and I believe in praying to those on the other side. They can hear us, okay? Mm-hmm. So I prayed to her, and that night, I had another lucid, vivid dream. And in that dream, my grandmother lived in an old two-family house, April. And I went to this house. I opened the door. I walked into the foyer. My grandmother lived on the second floor. I looked up, and it was at about 10 steps to the second floor. I look up, and she's standing there at the landing holding a baby. And I knew, for some reason, I knew that she was holding a baby girl. And she looked at me, and telepathically, she had a smile on her face, and telepathically she said to me, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. So that's all I remember. And I woke up, and the next day, later in the day, I got a phone call from my doctor telling me that the results of the amio came in and the baby was completely fine. Wow. And, and then when I did have the baby, of course, she was a girl, just like I saw in my dream. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, and, and another question that I wanted to ask you, I don't think that I did when we actually met you, but I know that you have um, some sort of, it's a, and maybe I'm using the wrong words, a hearing impairment, um, yes. but something with your hearing, right? Yes. And, uh, you, you know, I just wondered, you know, sometimes when we don't have full access, and I don't know the depth of the hearing impairment that you have, but when we don't have full access to all of the five senses that sometimes they say that other senses will compensate. And, Mm -hmm. you know, do you feel that that has anything to do with uh, your strong intuition and your ability to connect at all? Absolutely. Uh, Because the ironic thing about all this is even though I'm hearing impaired in real life, okay, I'm actually clairaudient. So, I can hear spirit. And I'll give you an example of that. Um, There was one time when I was doing um, laundry. And there was a a particular story that I wrote about in Visits from Heaven, a girl named uh, Angel. So I'm doing laundry, April. All of a sudden, I hear very clearly, call my mom. And I'm like, call my mom? Now, somehow... I knew it was this girl, April. I mean, Angel. I knew it was her, right? Mm-hmm. So, what do I, so what do I do? I'm thinking, okay, this is great. How am I going to explain to her mother? You know, <laughs> what am I going to say? You know, but okay, I've learned over the years. I've learned to trust that inner voice, and that's a hard thing to do. But I've learned to trust my inner voice. So I go and I get my contact information, and I'm nervous, and I call her mother. And I explained to her mother what happened, right? Do you know what she said? (laughs) She said, oh, my God, Josie, do you know what today is? And I said, what? She said, today is my birthday. So I said, oh, well, happy birthday from your daughter. How nice. You know, but but had I not listened to that voice... I wouldn't have been able to do that. And and it's not an easy thing to do because, uh, you know, there's always that part of you that says, well, what if I'm wrong? Right, <laughs> but, right. But, but my point is, though, I hear it loud and clear, you know, because it's not like um, they don't communicate the same way. They communicate in, in thought form. So you can't misinterpret what you're hearing. Right. You know, so, so that part of me is actually very strong, yet I am hearing impaired. So, yes, you're, you're right in that. Even though I'm hearing impaired, I've, I've been able to, you know, I have a heightened sense in other areas. Right. Okay. 
So can you take us through the journey? I know that you've written quite a few books and what inspired you to get these collection of stories and to write a call from heaven? Um, well, what happened was I had an appointment with my primary care physician for my annual physical. And Dr. Toro and I have a very good relationship, you know, where we strike up a conversation about what he's doing and what I'm doing. And on that particular, you know, day, I walk in, he says, hey, Josie, are you working on any more books? And at the time, April, I was working on uh, Divine Visits, which is about divine and angelic encounters. And I said to him, you know something, Dr. Toro, I was talking to a doctor, and he said that these spiritual experiences are happening more and more. And he shocked me because in response to that, he said, oh, yeah, I know. And I'm thinking, what do you mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he started to tell me that just that week, he had a patient, and they couldn't do anything more for her. So he was going to tell her, we need to transport you to a different facility. So he walks into the room and her family and friends are there. And he goes up to her and tells her, okay, we're gonna transport you to a different hospital. And she looks at him and she says, no. And he said, what? She told him that her grandson was in the room and he found out that her grandson was actually killed in the Iraq war. So she says her grandson was in the room. It was her time. So she, you know, she wasn't going to go to uh, the other facility. Well, when he told me this, I said, Dr. Charles, um, do you think that she was hallucinating? Now, I knew she wasn't, but he said to me, oh, no. He said, absolutely not. He said she was completely coherent. He said she was joking with her friend, telling her just because she was going, it didn't mean that she could now date her husband and things like that. So he said she was completely coherent and lucid. So the conversation continued. She was talking to her grandson, talking to the people in the room. And of course, you know, the people in the room couldn't see her grandson. And then he said, all of a sudden, she said, okay, I'm ready. He said, and within two minutes, she passed away. So that story was like, I, I, I was so touched by that, and I knew that that was the next topic that I, need to, I needed to work on. So that the next day, I decided to write a book about deathbed phenomena, and I'm, I really am proud of this book. Yeah, and I'd like to get into that a little bit more. And the interesting thing that I find sometimes, um, the show that the last show that we did before you, when I was reading the intro to your book, um, the book before you, the podcast that we just did was Untold. Oh, gosh, hold on. Untold Physicians Untold Stories. And we had uh, interviewed a doctor. And basically, that's what he was sharing. He was sharing a lot of stories from other doctors about these different phenomenons and things that were happening. And then we got, you know, your book, and we're like, hey, let's get Josie on. And there was a part of me that was thinking, gosh, these are like two similar shows, you know, back to back a little bit. But then what I'm realizing is that it seems like the way that these shows come in to us and the people that we interview, it's almost like a building for the audience to prepare them to hear the next one and then the next one and the next one. So that's um, yeah, it's really interesting. So yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the uh, phenomenon of deathbed visits. Give us some more background about that. Well, uh, you know, deathbed visits are powerful metaphysical experiences um, that can happen to people on their deathbed, okay? However, 
these things don't necessarily have to happen right before death. Okay, the interesting thing is it can happen, you know, days before, weeks before, hours before. Um, let me give you an example of what I mean by that. Um, my grandmother died of a heart attack, okay? And um, my mother told me after my grandmother died that my grandmother told her that her father, my grandfather, was in the room. And my mother said, what are you talking about? And she said, I know your father is standing right over there. Well, again, nobody else could see my grandfather. The next day, my grandmother passed away. Well, my cousin told us that two weeks prior to that, my grandmother had told her that my grandfather came to her. So, you know, the, you know there is no time on the other side like we know it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's kind of like past, present, and future altogether. So... It's not necessarily right before death. It can happen hours before, weeks before, um, days before. And religious beliefs appear to have no bearing on the experiences because even atheists report having these, you know, having these experiences. And people ask me all the time, uh, you know, what is the most common? Well, the most common is visual. The most common is seeing deceased loved ones. Do they see angels? Do they see God? Do they see Jesus? Uh, yes. Do they see divine big figures? Absolutely. But the the number one thing is seeing deceased loved ones. Yeah. And what I was learning from your book, too, which I had never heard of it when I found that interesting, is uh, when you were talking a little bit about the founder of the Society for Psychical Research and how he conducted a study of deathbed visions all the way back from 1924 to 1926. William Barrett. Yeah. 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 So, so, uh, you know, these are things that, you know, this is obviously this has been going on for a very long time. Um, But, you know, William Barrett was really the first one to actually put it in a book, actually put it in a book. But then you had um, a woman by the name of Frances Kolb, and she wrote a book in 1882. And her book talked about, this is, for me, April, the highlight for my research in this book is uh, experience, experiences called peak and Darian experiences. And what that means is when those on their deathbed mention the presence of a deceased person of whose death they had no knowledge. Okay, so I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Bruce Grayson. Uh, he wrote a, a paper about these phenomena. And I tell you, I was I was amazed because let me give you an example, a story that I absolutely love. There was a little boy named Eddie Cuomo, and Eddie Cuomo had uh, a very very high fever, and he went into a coma. Well, he comes out of the coma, April, right? And his mom and dad are in the room, the nurses and doctors are there, and he starts telling everyone that he he went to heaven. And he starts naming his deceased loved ones on the other side. He tells them, I saw, you know, Grandpa Cuomo, I saw Aunt Rosa, I saw Uncle Lorenzo, etc. But all of a sudden, he shocks his mother and father by also saying that he saw his sister Teresa. So the father said, what are you talking about, Eddie? I just talked to her two days ago. 
she's fine. She's a way at college. And the son says, no, dad, I saw her and she told me to go back. She told me it wasn't my time. All right. So obviously the father's very upset. Mm -hmm. Well, they go home that night and there's a message from the school. The daughter was killed in a car accident just after midnight. Now, remember, his mother and father didn't know that. No one else in the room knew that. How is that possible? You know, how is that possible other other than to say that he really did go to the other side, that he really did see his sister? Right. Because, Because the mother and father were not even aware of their daughter's death. Yeah, stories like that, that just kind of stop you in your tracks. I'm kind of sitting here, like, just shaking my head saying, holy shit, I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so when I, um, because like I said before, when I wrote Visits from Heaven, the thing about that is I wanted to make sure that every single story was backed up by some sort of proof. And because I'm telling you, it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't even matter uh, to some people who have had experiences. Yeah, they believe, but they still want an element of proof. Yeah. So when when I wrote when I wrote this book and I came across these experiences, Picandarian experiences they're called, I was just blown away, because like I said in in a case like that, how do you even explain that? How do you even explain that? Um, there's a, I, I interviewed Dr. Penny Satori in the book. Uh, she's an NDE expert, written a lot of books. Wonderful, wonderful person. I truly enjoyed. Um, interviewing her and she tells a story about this patient who wasn't doing well so they called the family and then his condition improved so the family went home and I said overnight during the night he became very alert and was talking to people in the room okay the next day his family comes back and he tells them that his mother and grandmother came to him the night before, but he said, you know, he was confused because he said his sister was also there and he wanted to know why his sister was there. Well, you know why his sister was there? His sister passed away a week before, but they never told him because they didn't want to hinder his recovery. Oh. So, so again, how do you... (laughs) explain these experiences. Like, I I love it when people say to me, oh, I don't believe this is a bunch of crap, whatever, you know, whatever. I don't mm-hmm. care, you, you know, it's fine. I'm, I'm not going to tell you what to believe. You can make up your own mind. I'm not, I'm not here to change minds. I'm here to open minds, okay? So, but when I say, well, how do you explain a story like that? No one has an answer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no one yeah. has an answer. Um, so that was uh, a, a big highlight for me. And I don't know if you remember from the book, April, the other thing that was um, amazing to me is terminal lucidity. Do you remember oh, that? From yes, the- yes, yes. I wanted to talk about that too. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that is the unexpected return of mental clarity and responsiveness shortly before death. We've all seen that, you know, they're, they're very like, uh, you know, they can't move, they're not talking or anything. And then all of a sudden, they get a burst of energy and are able to say goodbye and things like that. Well, what's interesting is I got to interview a professor at the University of Vienna, uh, Professor Alexander Bathany. 
And what he what he's doing is he's researching these deathbed phenomena among well, terminal lucidity, really, among people on there, um, you know, that have Alzheimer's disease. So what's and and then he said to me, because you know, Josie, when I first started this research, I didn't think, you know, how was I going to get enough stories? How was I going to get enough subjects? He says, but now I have so many that I don't know how I'm going to compute them all. Wow. Okay. Um, and what's interesting about what he's doing, you have to remember that when people have Alzheimer's disease, the disease kills nerve cells and tissue in the brain, right? Mm-hmm. Yet, yet, people who are on their deathbed with this disease suddenly are able to recognize people they haven't been able to recognize in a long time. Suddenly they become coherent and are able to say, you know, goodbye to their loved ones. Well, I got news for you. The brain doesn't suddenly fill up with new neurons and become alive again. <laughs> you know, the brain remains exactly how it was before. So how is it possible that they suddenly wake up and they suddenly recognize their family and then they pass away? So, right. I, you know, at the time that I interviewed him, the, uh, the study was ongoing. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the results of his study. I really am. I, hopefully I can put that in a future book. And that kind of leads us to the other part that I wanted to talk about um, in your book, where you kind of go into a pretty good length of discussion of how consciousness is outside of the brain. And mm-hmm. so can you talk about that? Well, I... I interviewed um, Evan Alexander is in the book, and as you know, Evan Alexander was a prominent neurosurgeon. He wrote a book called Proof of Heaven, and, you know, suddenly he has this near-death experience, and he realizes, oh, my God, you know, he had it all wrong, okay? Um, Basically, what he says is that the brain doesn't generate consciousness, but rather acts as a filter, okay? So previously, he would tell you that, you know, if you don't have a working brain, you can't be conscious. It's as, it's as simple as that. Uh, like most of his medical co- uh, colleagues, he believed that the brain was responsible for producing consciousness. No brain, no consciousness, right? But mm-hmm. then he has this near-death experience, and he realizes, you know, he had it all wrong, um, that, you know, consciousness actually creates physical reality, not the other way around. So in other words, consciousness is outside of the brain because if it wasn't, okay, when you die and the brain dies, if consciousness was inside the brain, then that would be it. The brain dies, consciousness dies, that's it. But that's not the case. So so what is consciousness, April? Consciousness is our awareness. Consciousness is our ability to perceive, right? Mm-hmm. And then after we die, you know, all these experiences are proven that we are still very much aware, that we are still able to perceive. I mean, think about all these people who have near-death experiences and, and what they say. And right. how how is it that people are able to come, you know, from heaven and give us messages if they weren't still aware? So, and that's the big that's the big study going on right now. I mean, uh, you know, science is trying to figure out well, what exactly is consciousness. You know, um, 
you know, doing a lot of studies about consciousness being outside of the brain. And like I said, if consciousness was not outside of the brain, then none of these experiences would be possible. Anyway. Right. Yeah, and I'd like you to share maybe one of one or two of your favorite uh, stories that you have in A Call from Heaven. But I'd like to share mine first, if that's okay. okay. Sure, so, go ahead. so. At the time, this this interview was actually supposed to happen on April 28th of 2017. Josie and I were supposed to get together and, and do this podcast interview. Well, I think that same week, I had been reading lots of different books for guests that we're having on the show. I interviewed Dr. Kolbaba, that was the physician about all those untold stories. And then and I'm in the middle of reading, you know, Josie's book and all of these stories. And I get into my car. I think it was that Friday morning uh, that we were supposed to do the original podcast interview and my seatbelt is no longer working. I can't get it to click. So there's a part of me after reading all these books, I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, I need to get this fixed. I'm reading all these stories. Is this a sign? Oh my gosh, I'm going to get into a car accident. The seatbelt's not going to work. Maybe I'm going to live. I don't know what's happening. Let me, let me just call the garage. So I call them and then they could get me in right away. So, you know, I ended up saying to Josie that I had had to cancel our interview and we've rescheduled it for now. However, as I'm reading the book, and I think I was reading it on a Wednesday, uh, Thursday night, so it would have been April 26th or 27th, um, I read, you know, Josie's whole intro and then she has all of these stories. So I just sat in meditation for a second and I said, okay, um, you know, please just guide me to the stories that I'm supposed to talk about on the air because I wasn't going to be able to read all of them. Um, before the Friday morning interview. And the one that popped out to me first was Yellow Roses for Nancy. And it's one of the last stories, but for whatever reason, it caught my eye. I go and I'm reading the story about Yellow Roses for Nancy. And Nancy is still alive. Her husband has passed away. And part of the story, you you may, um, you might be able to recall it a little bit easier, uh, Josie, but basically her husband sends her through Josie, yellow roses. You know, Josie has this this strong pull to have to buy yellow roses for Nancy, and she sends them, and it happens to be that they arrived on Sunday, April 28th. And so I read that, and I stopped for a second, and I said, oh my gosh, this is the one that I'm going to talk about on the air, and we're recording the show on April 28th, which I now know, I don't know who Nancy is, but I know that April 28th <laughs> is her anniversary with her husband. Right. That was and amazing. Yeah. I, I was like, oh my gosh. And so when Josie and I were talking on April 28th that morning when we had to cancel, I said, I don't know who this Nancy lady is, but can you please share this story with her that it just so happens that this was the story, one of the stories that I wanted to talk about on the podcast show. So he really came through very loud and clear. His name is Ched. So obviously he's very active on the other side, but can you give the backstory to Yellow Roses for Nancy? Sure. Um, what happened was I had a procedure done and I was laid up and I said, well, let me read. Nancy had a, a new book out uh, about grieving. Um, and I said, OK, let me this is a perfect opportunity for me to read a book. So I'm laying there and I'm reading a book and I get to the end of the book. And she talks about how on her anniversary, OK, which was the date that we were supposed to have the interview, um, her husband would always send her yellow roses. So, okay, she didn't say, um, you know, much, but she, she closed. She didn't say the date, actually. She just said that her husband would always send her yellow roses on her anniversary. So I closed the book. 
And as soon as I close the book, I hear in my mind, send Nancy yellow roses. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I said to my husband, um, John, he said, yeah. I said, I just heard a, a voice. I think Nancy's husband wants me to buy Nancy yellow roses. And he just like gave me one of those looks, April, like a oh, boy, you know. Okay, here, here, here we go again, right? Yeah, here, here, <laughs> here we go again. <laughs> and uh, he said to me, "Well, you know what? If you think that um, you know he wants you to buy yellow roses for Nancy, go ahead." So okay, so I go, and I I don't have her, um, you know, I have a PO box for her, but I don't have her snail mail address. So I emailed her. And I said, Nancy, I'll explain later, but can you please send me your address? Well, she didn't. She replied, but she didn't give me her address. But what she said shocked me. She said, Josie, Saturday would have been our 50th wedding anniversary, and we were going to renew our vows. Well, when, mm-hmm. I, read, when I read that, my mouth dropped because I realized, oh, my God, that's why he wants me to send his wife yellow roses, Okay. So I write her again, and I said, again, Nancy, um, can you please give me your address? I'll explain later. Well, this time she sends me her address. So now I have her address. I go online to 1-800-Flowers, I believe, and I'm looking for, you know, yellow roses to send her. Well, I love roses, and I also love lilies. So I see this bouquet of yellow roses and lilies. And I said, okay, they're, they're pretty awesome roses. Well, do you know my computer crashed when I tried to send those roses? <laughs> and I, I said to myself, ah, okay, Chad, I guess you don't like those. And I rebooted and I went on again and I came to um, lawn stem yellow roses with baby's breath, okay? Really beautiful bouquet. And I said, okay, um, these are really nice. I'll send these. And that time, no problem. They went right through. So I guess those are the ones he wanted me to send to his wife. <laughs> so I um, send the flowers and on the card, I wrote, Nancy, these roses are not from me. They're from Chad with all his love. I said, call me, I will explain. Well, on that day, I'm waiting for the phone to ring. But, you know, the, the roses weren't delivered until later in the day. I think she said they were delivered like 5 o'clock or a little bit after 5. So I answer the phone, and she's crying uh, on the other end. And she told me, she said, you know, after I told her what happened, she was sobbing uncontrollably. And she said, Josie, I was praying and praying and asking him to please give me a sign on our 50th wedding anniversary, she said. So you were that sign. And, um, you know, that was just amazing to me. So, you know, many times those on the other side use us to bring signs to their loved ones. Yeah. But but I guess it came to me because he knew I would listen. And (laughs) and like I said before, we were talking about how I'm clairaudient, well, there you go. You know, I, I clearly heard him say, I didn't say... Um, John, you know, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if he really said that. I'm like, no, John, I think he wants me to send his wife yellow roses. Like, and, and my husband's like, oh, well, go ahead. Like, I clearly heard him say, buy Nancy yellow roses. Clearly. There was no doubt in my mind. Yeah. And when I was reading that story and I saw, you know, their wedding anniversary, April 28th, and I'm like, huh. 
I'm interviewing Josie on April 28th. And, you know, it was the first, the first one that came out. I'm like, way to go, Chad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So he's, uh, you know, there you go. See, I say all the time that love never dies. Love is the one thing that transcends death. And then you have stories like this that literally prove it. Right. Yeah, that's beautiful. And and a really cool experience for me just personally to have, you know, a connection like that, too. I mean, out of all the stories that you have in here, you have tons of stories. I mean, this this book, how many pages are we looking at here? Almost uh, we have about 176 pages and tons of different stories. And the first one that I get led to is that one. I know. Well, you know, and the stories are consecutive the way they laid it out. They had it, you know, run from story to story rather than each story, you know, start on its own separate page. Right. So even though, you know, it is 175 pages, which is well, almost 200, um, there, there are a lot of stories in there. OK. Um, but like you said, you know, you were saying before you wanted me to mention one of my favorite stories. And yes, that, that's a, a tough thing because I have. So many, but I, I will. How about if I tell you one that I love that I haven't told yet on the air? I've done a lot okay. of, I've done a lot of interviews, and I haven't told this one yet. Um, I have a very good friend. Her name is Santina, and um, Santina told me a story that really blew my mind. She had um, a friend who was suffering from Lou Gehrig's disease, and she went to the hospital to visit her friend. And her friend at the time was unresponsive, you know. She couldn't talk or anything. So she leaves the room. She sees a hospice nurse, and the the hospice nurse uh, told her that her friend had started knitting a blanket. And she said to my friend, it's a shame that she never got to finish it. So later on, she goes back to see her friend. She says her goodbyes. She goes into the elevator, and long behold, that same hospice nurse is sitting in the elevator. Well, all of a sudden, she hears her friend that is now unresponsive, still alive, you know, but she hears her friend say to her, tell her that you will finish the blanket for me. Tell her that you'll finish the blanket. So my friend is like, uh, uh, um, uh, listen, uh, can you give me, you know, the yarn and everything? Uh, I'll get make sure the blanket gets finished. So luckily... The, the hospice nurse didn't argue and said okay and went to go find the unfinished blanket and gave it to my friend Santina. So now Santina has this, doesn't know how to knit, and is wondering, <laughs> you know, how am I going to finish this blanket? Mm-hmm. And uh, decides to ask her mother for help. And she said her mother wasn't in the best health, but she couldn't think of anybody else that she knew that could knit, right? So she goes to her mother. And her mother um, says, okay, and uh, she starts to knit a blanket. She finished it six months later. Well, when she first, you know, the first blanket she finished was before six months, but when she went to pick it up, her mother said, no, I'm not done yet. I have to knit another one. She knit one blanket for a boy. She wanted to knit another one for a girl. And my friend Santina is like, what do you mean, Mom? You finished the one blanket. That's fine. You don't have to, you know, do another one. And her mother said, no, no, I, I got this feeling I need to knit another one. I need to knit another one for a boy and a girl. Okay. So my friend didn't know what to make of it, but okay. So six months after her, her friend died, by the way, I forgot to mention, 
after she went to visit her friend that day, her friend died the next day. Okay, mm-hmm. so e- even though she heard her friend in the elevator, her friend was still, you know, technically alive, but she died the next day. Okay, so she gets the yarn, she brings it to her mother, her mother finishes one and decides, no, I need to, ma- I need to do another one. So now, six months later, she has two blankets, one for a boy, one for a girl, right? She delivers it to her friend's daughter. Three months later, she gets a phone call. Her daughter was pregnant with twins, a boy and a girl. Wow. So even even now when I tell that story, I get goosebumps. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. You know, I get I get goosebumps. And my friend Santina, um, she's a wonderful person. She's extremely intuitive. She I have two stories from her in Visits from Heaven. She's had a lot of spiritual experiences. And, uh, you know, but that one really, really touched my heart. Yeah, well, thank you so much for sharing that. And I would really recommend for people to check out your website, check out all these wonderful books, um, you know, that you've written. And can you also tell our listeners about your Facebook page that you have that's very interactive and growing like wildfire? I started a... A group on uh, Facebook called Visits from Heaven, which is uh, the title of my first book. And the reason I started the group is I, I wanted to give people a place where they could come and share their experiences and know that they are not alone. And since then, the group has grown. I have an open group and also a closed group for, for people who, you know, want to be a little bit more private about it. Um, but, but it's amazing, um, the stories that have been shared in that group. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for the members. Um, you know, like I said, I, it's important for people to understand that we are not alone. You know, um, when you have an experience like this, it's, you're not crazy. <laughs> you know, there are, there are other people out there who, had, who have had the same similar experience. So um, if people want to join us and join our group, they can go on Facebook and just put in visits from heaven and it'll come up. And also, I, I want to mention, I have a website, which is josievarga.com, and there's a contact link there. So if people have a story to share or if people have a question for me, you know, feel free to contact me through the website. It might take me a while, but I, I try to get back to every single person that emails me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Mike and I get this question all the time after people are finished watching a, a documentary, they say, okay, so what's next? Um, are you in the process of collecting more stories for another book from people or what's Yeah, next? I am. Um, it's amazing. You know, every time I write these spiritual books, I, you know, April, I always say, oh, you know, I'm going to go write about a different topic because, you know, I'm also a motivational speaker. I also write about positive thinking. My publicist told me, oh, Josie, you know, you have to follow this up with another book. And I, and I said to her, why? And she said, because you, do, you, you have to. So I, um, um, you know, am working on another book. It's going to be a compilation of, you know, see, the thing about me is I've written about all the different types of spiritual experiences. Okay. So I wanted to write a book that explains all of it, that explains the many questions that I get from people on my Visits from Heaven page, for instance, um, what are the, you know, top 10 or top 20 questions that I get from 
people, and I'm going to answer them in the book. And it's going to include all different types of phenomena, you know, afterlife communication, near-death experiences, deathbed visits, etc. So, uh, again, if anybody has a story that they'd like to share with me, they can reach me through my website. Um, I'd, love, I'd love to hear from my readers. Yeah. Well, excellent. And I'll look forward to that book coming out and we'll definitely have you back on. And uh, yeah, this interview flew by. It's always so much fun to talk to you. I just, I love the stories that you share. I think it's awesome that you are collecting so many people's stories and putting them out there because, you know, a lot of these stories, maybe they might have a chance to reach a couple of people here and there, word of mouth. Oh, I once heard the story about this person, but you know, you're just reaching a mass of people. And I, for me personally, when I read stuff like this, it just gives me a little more hope, you know, that uh, yeah. comfort. Yeah. So, yeah. well, you know what, great. April, I say all the time, and I mean this sincerely, my books are not about me. My books are about the message. Okay. Right. My books are about helping people. Because really, you know, uh, like I said, if you would have told me that I'd be doing this, I would have said you were nuts. But it's not it's not about me. It's about helping people. That's what it's all about. So I feel, um, you know, I feel blessed to be able to do what I do. And I always say that every time I'm asked to do like a show, like today's show right now, there has to be somebody out there. If there's one person that I'm meant to help, there's a reason for everything that I do. So if I'm able to help one soul through what I've said today, then okay, so be it. I did my job. You know, so like yeah. I said, it's not about me. It's about the message. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you're ha helping many, many souls in this lifetime with the work that you're doing. So oh, I really great. appreciate it. And uh, I just love you to pieces. You're, you're so fun. You're so great. And you're making me blush over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Well, then I, I, I serve my purpose for the day. I made somebody blush. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're funny. <laughs> All right, my dear. Well, great to talk to you. And uh, thanks for such a wonderful interview. Listeners, I hope you guys enjoyed this show as much as we did. And definitely check out our website, josievarga.com. Get on Facebook. Check out what this book or her, her group is all about, Visits from Heaven. And uh, get out there and get a copy. So um, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you'd like more information about our films or to purchase our DVDs, you can head on over to our website at thepastseries.com. They're also available to purchase on amazon.com. Our films are also streaming online at vimeo.com, guyamtv.com, and iTunes. If you have a show suggestion or would like us to interview someone specifically, please feel free to shoot us an email at info at thepastseries.com or send us a tweet at thepastseries. Please rate and review us in iTunes and subscribe. We hope you enjoyed the show.